All right, we're going to just take a few minutes because it's so important, you know, to return to Jesus and thank him. How many of you know the lepers? They got healed up and they didn't really respond well, you know, after Jesus did all this good stuff. And I think what we want to do is just, it's, it's important to cultivate gratitude and appreciation for people that Jesus uses and for Jesus himself. So how many of you enjoyed tribal a lot? Thought that was amazing, yeah. Okay, a couple of you, let's just, you know, keep it concise. Keep it to a testimony about tribal. Uh, and I know that maybe Aunt Matilda, five years ago, that got healed is a great thing, but we want to focus in on tribal today, <laughs> if you don't mind. Come on up here. Everybody say hey. Hi. Tribal was so fantastic for me. Diana drug me over here just, uh, screaming and shaking. But, um, <laughs> but praise God. I was um, healed today of depression. I've had it all my life. And I am just not putting up with that crap. And that's what I learned from tribal. I don't have to put, it up, with it, put up with anything like that anymore because I'm a child of God. And then he showed me 61 that he read in Isaiah. It's one of my scriptures. I've been doing game changers. And so, oh, yeah. And so, <laughs> so I'm really excited. And then he showed me um, I'm the light of life. We all have that. And every word, Jesus is beautiful. Hey, he says you're beautiful. He's a counselor. You're a counselor. Go for it. Wow. Come on, girl. This goes to Lady Die. Can you pass that back to your wifey? Next person. Well, that was a great. Okay, come on up. Okay, before I came up here, a verse came across my, my awareness. It's one of those verses that jump out and like grab you by the grab you by the throat and slam you down, and, like, pay attention to me. So I, I don't know if you guys have ever had a verse like that that just popped out of the Bible, but that happened to me. And I just started reading it in, in a new way instead of trying to learn how to but that's neither here nor there. We're talking about tribal. I got here and the, the verse is even in my faithlessness, he remains faithful. Whenever I couldn't believe, because I was a Satanist, that Jesus who could actually love me, he still loved me enough to die for me, and he still he brought me up here. So whenever I got up here, it, the, the verse was like as a constant bam, bam, bam. I'm like, I feel like Jesus is calling me to stay here for a little while, a season or something. I feel like he's calling me to stay here. And I was so faithless. I was snapping at the end because I hadn't had no offers, and I was like, ah! Guess what? While I'm throwing a fit, they're in the conference room, and they got me staying down with uh, Oma and Kim, which are, these, these people are very meek and very loving. They're some of the best people I've ever met in my life. Um, but in my faithlessness, he remained faithful because I didn't believe that, that I thought maybe I'd heard a wrong word. He still remained faithful to me even whenever I was acting like a fool, you know. And uh, I want to apologize for my actions in front of the entire group, but, you know, <laughs> I just had to say that. <laughs> Randy, Randy, that's big. Randy, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Randy, Randy has had a dramatic conversion experience. 
and it's he's been on a three-month fast track of becoming like Jesus. And uh, he got baptized here in the Laramie River during tribal, and uh, he he left his old man dead on the cross, so the new man is coming out, and Randy's learning how to walk in his new identity as a son of God, and he is a new creation son. So we are so proud to call him a son in this house, and and the things that he has to unlearn, and the and the things he gets to learn is he's on an exciting journey of unlearning some things. How many of you have had to unlearn a few nasty habits? We call it the deconstruction period. So, Randy, see, you're not alone, buddy. We've all, every one of us in this room in the, in the, have had to be deconstructed in order to be reconstructed into what Jesus is like. So it feels like we're going downhill, but he's just really out with the bad. It's really not downhill. It's really uphill. It just means... The bad stuff's getting kicked out so the good stuff can come in. And that's what's going on with you. And so he's had a couple of weeks in the mountains getting loved up by Kim and Oman. We're, uh, he's going to go back to KC for a while, and we're going to see where he's going. But we're going to pray for you afterwards, Randy. This, is, this happens to be Randy's birthday today. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, at dinner time, we're going to sing happy birthday. We got some gifts for you, Randy, today. And we're going to love you up. And so I just wanted to commend to you. Uh, one of the things that I want to pray over your life is a clarity of vision. A clear vision, because without a vision, men and women go unrestrained. And the vision will compel you forward into the destiny God has for you. And he has a big, big call in your life. A very big call, Randy. So... The bigger the call, the greater the discipline. Just remember that. Just remember that. Okay, keep going. So, out of the mouth of babes comes wisdom. I need to go back and watch Graham because um, we had kids on Friday morning and then Friday night. The worship was awesome. I... Angels were playing in a lot of water during tribal. Um, and I could tell you about their, the visions I had of them. Um, but what I wanted to share this morning was um, uh, when we got together for the, well, I mean, it's been many, it's been a long time now, long standing. But when we got together in March or the end of February for the APEST meeting, um, Andrew and I were really just praying in, in the APES meeting, even, you know, like Norm and Marcy and, and uh, Lori um, were just, and Josh and Amy, I mean, just really had impressed upon our hearts to give us wisdom about Sarah, my daughter. And um, for those of you who don't know, she's high-functioning autistic, and there's just really a lot of awkward moments. And it's difficult at times, um, and this family has been wonderful to come alongside, all of you. I mean, it's just such a blessing. And um, during Friday night after the worship, uh, I went outside, and Sarah was going to run home. She was done. She was on her way. <laughs> you know, we're a mile away, so I'm not, like, completely worried that she's walking, like, 10 miles home. Um, but she was headed home, and she was having an episode 
Um, and that just means like, you hate me, you don't love me, you know, and she speaks all these lies over her life. And um, so I calmed her down and got her to come back in. I really didn't know what happened, but then I was taken out and given wisdom by Megan, the 17-year-old with the short hair from Kansas City, and she just, like, the Lord downloaded on her. And, um, I mean, I don't want to get into all of it, but the primary um, uh, lesson that I learned from the Lord was, first of all, that Sarah's spirit is very alive and so attentive and so alive that when people are not authentic, she can sense it. And when people are off the side, like, oh, she's so weird. Like, let's just get away. You know, let's just run away. She can feel that. And the only way that she can express it is through, like, you don't like me. You hate me. You just want me to run away. Um, and so as a family, um, another piece of, like, divine wisdom that was downloaded that day was um, that God loves. And because her spirit is so in tune and she can't communicate it, that she knows that we're supposed to love her unconditionally. So when she says those things of, I hate you, I mean, no, not hate you, you hate me, you don't like me, um, uh, and we go back to her, well, no, we love you, Sarah. We wouldn't know what we'd do without you. We love you. When in reality, she knows we have to love her. And Megan came back and said to me, she's like, you need to show that you like her. Because love is unconditional. But we know, in our, at least in our culture, that we can choose who we like. We can choose who we hang out with. You have to love them, but you don't have to like them. She's my daughter. I have to like her. So, you know, then there was practical things like learn how to play Minecraft. So you guys could all be praying for that. <laughs> I get nauseous playing Minecraft. So, like. <laughs> Is that tender or what? Hey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for that on us right now. Just right now. Jess, come back up. We're just going to hold each other. There's a grace that we can attract that causes not only to affection people, but to like people under the anointing. Amen. And I think our liker, but our liker switches could go way up because God likes us. He may not always like our behavior, all right, but he likes us. And there's a big difference. A good parent can differentiate. And so how about all of us attract this liker, this liker grace wouldn't it be fun if we sent that vibe of uh, that energy from heaven off our spirit to people? By the way, that's a biblical word, the energy of God. We send that energy of heaven, of affection. We love you and we like you. And no strings attached. We become the best likers in Laramie and Colorado. Father, today we take this, this painful challenge and we stand with Jess and Andrew right now as the parents of a person that has got just a couple little things that need tweaking. Lord, you see her as perfect. And I ask for grace in this family right now that you would give us an upgrade of how we affection people unconditionally. But not only that, how we like people 
and that our liker grace it goes way up, even with people that are obnoxious, that are difficult, that are challenging, they don't have emotional intelligence or social intelligence, but we look past those things. We look past those things and we drive a, a love bomb right down into their soul. Give us that grace. Give us that grace today, Lord, that out of this family, Laramie and Colorado get loved radically and that no one feels rejection in our midst or disgust or revulsion or anything like that. We pray that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to tell you that is a big deal right there. That's probably one of the more important things that have happened today. More testimonies. Just a couple more of, come on up. Everybody say, Brooke. I wasn't planning on this. Oh, sorry. All my life, every Sunday, Brooke, you're so beautiful. You're so gorgeous. All the time, and every time I heard that, I would get mad. Why? Why me? I'm at least 100 pounds overweight. My hair is curly and frizzy all the time. I'm jealous. <laughs> Please do have <laughs> I was always awkward. I had... As a child, when I wasn't overweight, my arms and legs were so much longer than my body. But I knew somewhere inside of me that it was God that had did this, and there was a purpose for it, and he wanted to use it, but I didn't know how. And when I was in cosmetology school, he told me that I was supposed to teach others how to be beautiful the way he sees them. But I kept saying, God, how can I do that when I don't even see myself like that? And then the tribal. I, every day, more than once, I showed up, and all of you guys and... That little girl, that the young teenager, Megan, constantly was telling me how great I looked, how beautiful I looked, how wonderful I was. And she told me, I don't remember which night it was, but she said, you're a princess. And I've had that one testified over my life before, but again, I didn't see it. I didn't agree with it. But then God showed me one of the nights. I think it was the first day, actually, that Graham Cook talked. And he said, he said, Brooke, it's my beauty in your heart that people are seeing. He showed me that because my heart seeks after him all the time, constantly, that that's what people, that's the beauty that people are seeing through me. And I've just prayed 
constantly since I've had my surgery. God, please don't let me be a vain person. Don't let me think that I'm better than someone because I've done this. And he told me at Tribal that I am a teacher and I am supposed to teach everyone <laughs> to, to let Jesus' beauty be shown or seen through them. Wow, praise the Lord. Oh, man. Oh, so exciting. Thank you for that, Brooke. I appreciate you fighting your fear back. Come on up. Yeah. We say, hey, Jimmy. 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 <laughs> I'm just going read to a, read a scripture to you. It's, uh, it's one of those uh, Randy scriptures that you know, talks to you and you can't put it down. And, and, you know, you're always at risk of taking things out of con context, and you always want to see if it's really true, you know, and so you test it by life. And you look and see if God keeps saying the same thing through other things to confirm it. And he says in uh, Romans 12, uh, Romans 11, verse 29, he says, For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. And uh, this is my expression of that. Um, you know, I grew up being a... Uh, alone, no brothers or sisters. I have three sisters, and they were all at least 12 years older. So I kind of grew up, you know, as an only kid. And uh, I spent a lot of time alone. And in that time, um, I learned how to, to be pretty creative. And out of that creativity came opportunities for expressions that um, were really unique. And when I was a kid, it was mostly art. What happened around high schools that turned into music. I'd been playing clarinet and flute and trumpet and things like that in, in school music programs, but, but I loved music, and I really never had expressed that or valued it. I just, it was just something I did, and it didn't mean anything. But in high school, you know, you start thinking about being cool, and, and it gets translated into all kinds of mess because, you know, you start playing guitar and you think, hey, I want to be like that guy or that guy. And you start comparing yourself with a lot of people and that'll shut you down really fast. Where you just can't go there anymore. You just, it's too painful because you'll never be like them, you know. And then God began to introduce me to people in the Lord that knew him that um, were expressing their heart for him and their joy uh, through music. And that was new to me. I... You know, I grew up in a church called the Church of Christ, which was all a cappella. And, you know, they were actually against using musical instruments in worship. And it was like, man, that doesn't seem right because it seems like God wants me to express my joy through my instrument. And that's not always just your voice, you know. And, uh, but yet, later, years later, I look back and I remember just how much I gained from that experience, being able to hear things in four-part harmony, you just naturally fall in on any one of those places, and um, just to be able to sing, uh, you know, without even thinking about it, and to play that way, and so over the years, what happened is, you know, I had idols, uh, I'll give you one, it's uh, Eddie Van Halen, and never will play like him, right, but wow, you know, and one thing that always stuck out to me was how he just He's always so full of joy when he's playing. I mean, you watch him on any video, and he's smiling. He's just like a kid. He always had that spirit. 
And yet, you know, he was anxious. He was driven by things that were undefined. It, it caused him to do major drugs. His teeth are all rotted out because of meth. Um, you know, but he's, he's dry now. He's actually clean now, and he's working on that, and he's, 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 he's off the stuff. But, you know, through all those years of playing and wanting to be like all these guys and comparing myself with them, I just realized that, you know, even when it looks like they have joy, there's no joy like being able to play with brothers and sisters. And to be able to see how God uses that, it's powerful. And, you know, you can listen to all your favorite bands and think, man, that's cool. And it is. God gave us 12 notes, and look what we've done with them. Right? It's fascinating, the creation and the imagination of God. And the fact that it gives us the privilege of being able to express that and to actually create something unique. And so what's happened for me through conference and events just like this over the years is that God has continued to redefine for me, uh, you know, and give me my own voice. So I don't have to compare myself with other people. I can rejoice in what he's using me for in, in the context of where I'm at. And so I just want to thank you guys for letting me be part of that and be part of the worship team during the times I could. Jake and um, Janet and, you know, you guys are awesome. And that was a blast. Thanks. Wow. So cool. Did you guys see him when he got into those guitar licks? Was it incredible? He busted it out in one of those Van Halen, you know, like, it was very cool. Yeah, but, but God lets you keep your teeth. That's what Janet said. Now, the hair thing, you could do some more. Never mind. Talk to Brooke. <coughs> Anybody else? Isn't this powerful? Anybody else? I know most of you could just jump up here and just share, but I'm going to make, give it a little time here just to make sure. Okay. A uh, couple of really important things that happened. First of all, I think it's really important that on behalf of Rock International... God bless you. It is a very great honor for us to be here. This whole situation has kind of tackled me. And so, I, I'm, have you ever heard the term, you have an epiphany? An epiphany is, is usually a way to define something that happened kind of punctiliar, you know, one time and and wow, this, this new idea or whatever occurs on you. But I didn't have an epiphany when I met y'all. I'm epiphanating. It's like I'm kind of stuck in it. And every time I get around, I'm, uh, I'm really emotional. I mean, that sit, watching that there, that made me emotional. Seeing y'all and the love of God that you have, it's emotional. And anyway, so I don't know how this is going to go. We'll see. I've... I've preached the gospel a long time. I'm 53 years old. I started preaching when I was 15. And uh, just between the years of 2005 and 2010, I preached the gospel more than 4,700 times. And so when you, what that means is I probably need to shut up more and listen more than I do. Um, yeah. That... <laughs> Garrett works with me. Yes. <laughs> and so when you talk that much and, and you've got that, you know, experience is a great thing until you start using that to chart your way forward with. 
And so I just want to pray for myself and for us right now real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know that I'm not interested in anything that I have to say. And I just, I really only want what you want to communicate. And you're so great at what you do. And you can communicate the things heart to heart that you want to say. And I, I, Lord, I really want to get in step with, with what you've been doing and what you're doing now. So I ask you, Father, don't let me get in the way in Jesus' name. How many of you have ever sat on a piece of wicker furniture? You know what wicker is? It's, you know, it's made out of different stuff and it's kind of all twisted and it's really cool. And, 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 and only when it's, it's really comfortable until it starts coming apart and then it starts getting poking you, you know. But, you know, the word wicker comes from the same idea as the word wicked. The root idea behind the word wicked is to twist. And the enemy is really astute at the way he twists God's truth. It started off in the very beginning, you know. In the original temptation, he came to Eve and vicariously through Eve, Adam. He was standing there, you know, because she turned and gave him the whatever it was kind of fruit. And he said, did God really say? And he began to twist God's intent. So wickedness really means to twist the intent of God. And he's, he's got 6,000 years of experience at twisting God's intention in our thinking. You know, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down what? Imaginations. What are imaginations? Imaginations are wrong thinking. In other words, imaginations for us who love God are God's ideas twisted with malintent, by our interactions with the environment, with other people, and directly from the enemy. And we get these, these strongholds in our thinking that cause us trouble connecting with God. Like a holiness message fueled by condemnation rather than conviction. And so when you get in an environment like that, you're trying to engage with the activity of the Holy Spirit with a fearful expectation of judgment. That's something that's twisted. Nothing about the presence of God brings fear with it. And I love what Graham Cook, kind of how he, he didn't spin, how he re-announced the fact that Lucifer is created for accomplishing the destiny of God. And he, Lucifer now, the enemy, gravitates. You know, he, he'll be all up in a revival. Right? And he's very astute at twisting things in our thinking. And... And so what I have on my heart today, I hope it's right. You can judge. I think the Lord wants to do some more untwisting. He's already done some this morning. 
And so really what I want to talk about is hope. And I have something resonating in my heart that part of Part of the enemy's twisting is there's something that I know at least he's done in my life. And I've, 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 I've watched him do it in other people's lives where he takes your very own love for God and your desire to please him. And he twists it against you. And he uses it. He, he causes it to do this in run and come back against you. And in the name of Jesus, I think the Lord wants to untwist some of that this morning. It's kind of a progressive thing, you know, as the Lord works in us and, and, and we make our steps toward God, life and peace and revelation. You know, there's no end to God. He, he's, like, he's like, there no tiene fronteras. He, he doesn't have any boundaries. He doesn't have any borders, right? And every day, His mercy is new every morning. And we can never get to the end of God and our relationship. And it's like a living discovery. There's nobody like Jesus. Sorry, I'm from the South, so I yell sometimes when I preach. I just get excited. And I got so much life unlocked in me here the other day that y'all just better watch out. I feel too at home, and I don't know whether that's a good thing for my first time to talk to you. <laughs> So, if I tell you to repent or something, I'll at least say it while I'm with a smile on my face. <laughs> Repentance is the most positive, one of the most positive words in the scripture. Full of power. But I want to talk to you today about plans and purpose. Everybody say plans and purpose. Plans and purpose. How many of you want to fulfill the plan of God for your life? Raise your hand. Well, I know if we love God, that's... I mean, boy, we're, we're tracking on that, son. We're a home in pigeon to that, right? But what I've really found out is that, is that life has a way of convincing us that we disqualify ourselves really from God's plan A. How many of you ever thought about that? God's plan A. And you know, we, we struggle theologically to sort of kind of describe these concepts like God's per perfect will and his permissive will and, and all these things because how many of you in here maybe one time made half a mistake in your life? Raise your hand. <laughs> how many of you have ever made a big mistake that the consequences had pretty drastic impact in your life? Oh yeah? Okay, so I run a survey, and I can, I can predict the outcome of this survey with 100% accuracy. How many of you, before you were saved, ever had a problem? Raise your hand. All right, put your hand down. How many of you ever have maybe had one problem since you got saved? Raise your hand. Wow, what does that mean? That just means life is a problem. And so what we... Yes. So what we really want to do is we want to engage with Jesus because if we're going to have problems, we might as well get an eternal benefit out of it. Amen. Right? At the end. Okay, but this thing of plan A, how many of you want God's best for your life? Oh, yeah. And every mistake you make, the devil beats the snot out of you and me saying, you screwed up plan A. Now you just got to settle for plan B. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I've been through the alphabet a bunch of times. I'm on quadruple letters. So what's the deal with that? I want to throw out to you a couple of different definitions. Because so often we think through things and we think that plan and purpose have the same definition and they really do not. And really we're fixated on thinking about the purpose of God for our life and for this earth. And we mix that up with thinking that it's the plan of God. So I want to read you two little definitions. I want to read you the definition of purpose. Purpose is something set up as an object or an end to be obtained. I want to say it again. Something set up as an object or an end to be obtained. So let me read you the definition of plan. A method among many possible methods employed to achieve a purpose. And when we, when we fall prey to the enemy's whisperings or his screaming or maybe your neighbor or your husband or your wife or your kid or your son or your daughter or whatever... When we let the environment convince us and mix those two ideas and we think that the plans of God equal his purpose, then the devil has us around the throat. God's plans serve his purpose. God is very creative. And you know what? If he hadn't thought of a plan for your life, he'll make one up on the spot. Plans change all the time. His purpose remains constant. See, look at, look at what it says in Job chapter 42, verse 2. God says, I know, or, or the scripture says, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so we know that idea, right? We get that. That's why we feel such defeat deep down inside. If we make a mistake or someone else makes a mistake that bears drastic consequences on our lives that we know causes a change in plans. And when we equate it to purpose, the enemy grabs more and more real estate in our thinking. And I want to try to go on a journey in the scripture to help us understand the nature of God better. To fuel endless possibility and hope. In our relationship with God. Whatever plan. You have right now. That is in your life. Is the perfect one. 
Can God do anything that's not perfect or good or right? So if something's happened, if you've made a mistake or someone else has done something that you are paying the consequences for, that's caused a change in plan, that doesn't mean it's second best or third best or fourth best or fifth best or 56th best. Whatever the one that he's got going right now is the best one because he can't do anything that's not the best. Consequences vary, but don't mix up consequences with God's heart, His intention, and your possibilities in your life. It's true, we do reap what we sow. That's why God has concepts like mercy and grace and power. See, no purpose of God's can be thwarted, Job 42. So let me tell you what, I'm a bottom line thinker. And I found a scripture, and I'm so happy that I found it. It's Jeremiah 29, 14. This is the, the forever eternal underlying purpose of God on this earth. Here's what it says. I will be found by you. And do you know that if God didn't decide that was his purpose. And he didn't set it up that his purposes will not be thwarted. That it would not be possible for us to find God. But he decided. That's the heart of the gospel. And nothing that any entity in existence has ever attempted to do has been able to erase that purpose. And there's no news that's greater than that news. I will be found by you. And so we can understand that the immutable, unchangeable, all-powerful decision of God Almighty is that he's decided, Randy, that you can find him. That the door's open. The access is this wide. Isn't that awesome? I'm about to get excited. I amen myself. Amen, brother! Okay, so everybody knows Jeremiah 29. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Okay, so let's look at Jeremiah 29. 11. Now, y'all can tell that I talk the most excellent version of English. And my wife is a is an English smith. She's amazing. And I didn't learn too good in school, but I have learned very well from her. That there's this little thing that you stick on the end of an English word. It's an S. And it means that the word, when it was before without the S in its singular form, when you stick an S on there, it makes it plural. (laughs) Boy, that's astonishing, isn't it? 
But look what it says. For I know the plans. It don't say I know the plan. It says I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans. Everybody say plans. plans. So that word's got an S on it. Do you see it? So what this means is, if in your best attempt to follow God, you mess up some of his plans, he's got plenty for you. He's got an S on it. Y'all, I failed high school English, but I know what that means. It's got an S on it. That's hope. God's plans serve His purpose. God's plans change. His purposes do not. So we were talking about this, and my son David, wave at everybody, David. He's my youngest son. He said, Dad, you know, it's like the GPS. How many of you ever got, you got a GPS in your car? I'm, I don't even know what time I started. What time am I supposed to be done? Okay, so, you know, you follow the GPS? How many of you have ever heard this? As soon as possible, make a legal U-turn. <laughs> I want to do the redneck version. Hey, stupid, you missed a turn. Turn around. Recalculating. <laughs> Recalculating. Okay, so we got backcountry people in here. You know how compass works, right? No matter which way you turn the housing, the needle points always where? Magnetic north. You know, you can think of that needle as a heart inclination. We want our heart inclined toward God no matter which direction we point. It can always bring us back. And so God... As we go through life, sometimes we make wrong turns. Sometimes people run us off the road. Sometimes things happen that are our fault or are not our fault. And you know what God does? As long as we stay engaged with our love for Him, He just recalculates the route to the destination. And the destination is, I will be found by you. And so I'm not suggesting that God does not have standards or expectations for us. He certainly does. But God, through His grace and His power, is all about how to get us there. And the enemy knows that if we have love and devotion for God, that when we mess up, and if we buy that whole plan, you know, God's best and plan A, or God's first best and His second best and His third best, and all of that, that if we really think that way about God, that something inside us, if we know we've done something that causes a drastic change in plans, there's something inside us that will die and know that we can never, ever, ever really achieve God's full best for us. And that is a lie from hell. That is wickedness at its core. That is not what God means. That's not what holiness means. And the consequences of the mistakes that we make and other people make around us that impact us do not have the power to overcome the victory of the cross. I will be found by you. I will be found by you. 
I will be found by you, declares who? Declares the Lord. You see, when our actions, attitudes, and decisions oppose His plans, His plans change in order to accomplish His purpose. God's big enough. So is His life and power big enough. Look, y'all, God has an infinite arsenal of plans that he, can employ, that he can use and employ in our lives to accomplish His purpose. We don't have enough energy or longevity to wear Him out. If, indeed, that Graham is right and the devil must fulfill his destiny and accomplish the will of God, and God's durable enough for that, He certainly can put up with our life as we struggle to walk toward Him. Yes, thank you. The devil twists things. He pits knowledge against desire all the time. Now look, I, I don't mean to say that, that, that this is not a message meant to leave you in your thinking that God or me or any, or, or any of this leadership in any way condones disobedience and willful sin. That's not what I'm saying. But what it does do is leave us with hope and proof of the burning love of God and desire that caused Him to send His Son to die for us while we were yet sinners. There's no more powerful force in existence than that. The perfect will of God, all in God's perfect plan. Look, God don't make any imperfect plans. He doesn't. All His plans are perfect. Now it's true. There might have been some of the details of that other plan that we messed up that were nicer or better or felt more comfortable. And we might try to want to go back to do that. That's true. But God doesn't have any perfect plan, any imperfect plans. Everything He does is good and right and awesome. So, whatever plan you're in now is the perfect one. Let's look at this. The first place that I've been able to find in Genesis of this reality, and I don't mean. That if you messed up so bad and you're in sin, that that's perfect. What I mean is the dynamics of God and, and His intentionality to work you to Himself. And the dynamics that you're in. And the God equation that's involved in your life. That's the perfect one. And our actions and our attitudes and our responses. I'm fixing to prove it to you, I hope are the things that cause God to change plans. So where can we see this difference between purpose 
and plan. How about Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, verses 2 through 12? And you know the story, right? Most of you know the story of Abraham and Isaac and where God says to Abraham, he went through this big long ordeal, he gets this son of promise, and then God says to him, I want you to now go kill your son. What? Who told Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son with a knife? Who said that? God. Now, by, we, we, we know the end of the story. But was, was that really what God wanted? He used a plan to affect a purpose. Do you see it? Okay, so verse 2 says, sacrifice your son. That's God's plan. Verse 12, it goes all the way through the whole thing. And God says about the man Abraham, when his hand was plunging the knife down, and God stopped him and said, don't do it. Now I know you fear me. Plan, sacrifice your son. And he left nothing on the table, buddy. He was doing it. And God said, okay, okay. Do you see that? So what's the deal with that? Does that mean God is mean and he'll jerk us around? Not at all. But do you see the difference? God may tell us to do things. For totally another reason. And all we know is what he said. And what's his purpose? We can always know. I will be found by you. Everybody with me still? How about this? Adam and Eve. Let's go look at it. Genesis chapter 3. Real quick. This is the beginning. This is the chapter of the fall. Ugh, bummer. Right? So it goes through the whole thing in verse 13. God comes and he says, what did you do? Verse 14. Okay, because you've done this. Then what happened? Sin enters the world. The whole curse happens. Was that God's original plan? Throw away for a second, please, your thoughts about predestination. Was that God's intent that they fall? That was not his plan. But you see, they messed up really bad, didn't they? But at the moment that they messed up, he created another plan. The ultimate mistake engaged God's creative power. And he made another plan at the worst point in history. Details that applied to the first plan. <laughs> some of those details got left out of the, of the next one. Consequences changed. Just like they do in our life. 
man's actions, attitudes, response to God caused a change in plan but did not mess with his purpose. He didn't decide, okay, fine. No more access, no more possibility for relationship. Did he? No, we're sitting here. Verse 17, to the man, because you did this. The because there is where God created another plan. You see that? Because means a change in plans. God forgave, but he employed another plan. He did not return in that moment to the original plan with the same details. But the purpose, the destination, is unaltered. Do we see that? Look, y'all, only God can be flexible and holy at the same time. The definition of religion is man's inflexible ideas applied to people. Only flexibility enables relationship. So if God didn't have this ability to create and change plans, because you can do things that the plan that gets levied on you is not positive at all. And then you can respond to him through your heart, your actions, your attitudes, and cause him to change plans again, and the consequences are really pretty stinking awesome. Right? Only God can be flexible and holy at the same time. It's called mercy. His mercy is manifest to us many times. How many, how many times can we qualify that plans have changed? We've lost count, haven't we? I mean, really, if you think about your life, religion has no ability to flex. God has amazing flexibility. Because of the purpose that he's decided. How about Noah? Genesis chapter 6. God repented that he made mankind and he grieved that he had attempted relationship and he decided to end everything. Now this is important. This is the only point that we know of that God despaired and decided to end his purpose. And the reason he did that was because it says in Genesis chapter 6 that all of the thoughts and intentions of the heart of every human being on earth was only wicked and sinful all the time. In other words, there was no ounce of the image of God left in the people that were alive. Does that sound sound? That's what the scripture says in chapter 6. All right, but there's this awesome word. I did not like it when my kids told me this word. But I love that this word is in verse 8. But Noah found favor with God. And you know what this really means? God found his own hope for relationship alive. He made a decision. I will destroy all life. Is that the original plan that he started off with? No. So he did the whole plan of redemption. That creative 
because you did this and then God created the whole possibility for salvation and all that. Change of plans. Original plan, perfect weather, perfect food, perfect climate, perfect relationships, perfect government on the earth. Oh man, we messed that up. Change of plans, still his purpose is intact. But now he runs into a time in history where the volume of people God thought his experiment for relationship was over. But he found a man where God's own hope was still alive in. And so then, he, then, then what did he do? Okay, I got to get rid of all the people that there's nothing redeemable about. All life. Nothing of my image left. Erase. But Noah, my hope for relationship is alive in Noah. I find my own hope. And there's one thing that God will not violate. And that's himself. And when it lives in us, he will move heaven and earth. He will change everything to accommodate that. There's nothing greater. God found his hope alive in a man. And have you ever kind of noticed there's a tonal difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Anybody ever notice that? I mean, I haven't seen God crack open the ground and swallow 20,000 people. And I'm, it's not because we don't do the same kind of things that they did that caused God to do that. Agreed? And we, we struggled so much to figure out theologically how to, how to explain that. Well, that's Old Covenant, and this is New Covenant. I get all that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I want to throw out another idea. I ran into this unmovable pur purpose, hope for relationship thing. Because I started seeing that every time God got exasperated with his people and decided to kill them, because of wickedness, because of saturation with the horrors and none of the image of God left. Every time he came to that point, do you know what it was that stopped him? Moses standing there. It's an intercessor, but what was it that he was encountering? He was encountering his own hope for relationship. And that stops God dead in his tracks. Because what he wants is relationship. It's why he decided to do this creation this way. No purpose of God can be thwarted. And the biggest underlying purpose in existence is I will be found by you. And we can read about this toggling. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Do you know what Deuteronomy the ninth chapter is? It's sort of the synopsis, a recapping of, of what happened to the nation of Israel while they were wandering in the desert. And we see all these massive, amazing empirical evidence that God loves and he, and he, and he lives and He's feeding them every day supernaturally. And, and there's something they can see, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and, 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 you know, and do you know how exasperated those people got God because they whined and they complained. And in the face of that living reality, I mean, they were living suspended somewhere in between two realities. Heaven's reality and earth's reality. And, and they, they crossed and leaked into each other more than any other time that I know about in history.
You agree with that? Okay, and so, man, they're toggling through these things. I'm going to kill you all. Moses, move out of my way. I'm going to start over with you. But God... And yes, I believe the words Moses had to say, they were important. But what I really think God was bumping up into is his own hope. Alive in Moses through relationship. And every time Moses is telling him, and he's like, you know, 12 times you exasperated God so much. Or 10 times or whatever it is. You exasperated him so much it was going to kill you all. And I stood there and stopped him. And then, and, then, and then we have the whole bartering with God that Abraham goes through, right? But God, what if there's a, I don't know, I don't remember the numbers. What if there's a hundred righteous in Sodom? Okay, if there's a hundred, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't kill them all. What if there's 75? What if there's 50? He negotiates down. And I don't think it has anything to do with the numbers. I think it has to do with the person who God was engaged with, whose hope was alive in. Do you see that? Do you see if we carry alive in us the hope of relationship and God is finding that hope, do you know how we can stall wrath and judgment off of people? That's really what it's called to be an intercessor. Walk up next to God and present his own hope for relationship. And God will respond every single time. Oh man. See God toggles. He didn't start off angry. Man's actions, attitudes, and response caused God to go from positive plan to negative plan, back to positive plan to back to negative plan. Do you see it? Read Deuteronomy chapter 9 and you'll see it. Moses interceded. Man's actions and attitudes in one man Caused the positive change in plan that happened. Man's actions and attitude provoked God to numerous changes. At Tibera, at Massa, at Kibroth, and all those other words I can't pronounce. Human actions and attitudes and responses to God cause him to change plans. But his purpose remains unchangeable he almost changed it in Genesis chapter 6 and I think when he realized that he came up with a plan to make that impossible to ever come to that point again every time throughout the Bible that God found his hope he turned away his wrath and made a positive plan Plans change. Purpose does not. How many of you have ever disobeyed God? See, I need to sit on the ground and raise my feet too. How many of you have ever encountered 
that your disobedience didn't cause a change of plan. Go ahead, raise your hands. That's a proclamation of the mercy of God. I know also my own disobedience has caused God to change plans. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love me. That means I'm the one that grew my my neck, stiffened to him. How about this one? How many of you have ever had someone else's actions and attitudes cause something good in your life? How many of you have ever had someone else's actions and attitudes cause something bad in your life? Man's actions and attitudes. And sometimes the far-reaching consequences... They really cause substantive changes. And we turn around and try to go work that other plan. And and the enemy gets in there and he twists layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And we start working on that surface twisting. and And we got miles of twistedness to get through to get to the bottom. You ever felt like that? plans change but his purpose doesn't and the power and the love and the grace of God and healing and everything that I observe that you people are so good at the gift that you have the heart the one heart the one mind the one spirit the melding of purpose and love and health and stability awesome But how many of you can identify with, man, I know way back there, I messed up so bad and I I just, I can never recover God's best. But it's not true. How many of you have ever thought about that? You ever had that thought? You ever believed that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's because the devil lies and he says, yeah, that messed up plan there. You will never be able to fulfill that plan. And he equates that idea with God's best, God's goodness, God's love. And so your very own love and devotion for God walks along believing because you reap what you sow that you will never be able to please God in his highest plan. But that's wrong because it's totally not about the plans. The plans are the tools for the purpose. And so I like to work with my hands. I got saws and I got screwdrivers and I got hammers and I got nailers and I got got woodworking machines and I got tools on top of tools and my tools grow tools. (laughs) Tools have babies. Yes. The multiplication miracle is on my shop. I think you can't have too many tools, backpacks, boots, raincoats. But if I'm making a piece of furniture, when I look at the furniture, I don't think, wow, my saw is great. And if I'm using my saw and I run over a nail, I just go get another blade. It ain't about the blade. It's about the furniture. It's not about the plan. It's about the purpose. 
What is the purpose? I will be found by you. 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 And the devil wants to take the consequences of reaping what you sow, reaping what we sow, and use it against us. Lose that. I'm not suggesting that you become laissez-faire in your attitude toward God. What I am saying is that life and peace and the grace of God is yours. And you have not done anything in your life to disqualify you from the purpose of God. His perfect purpose is intact and open and accessible. And nothing you've done has disqualified you. So this whole thing about God finding his hope in a human being. And I I think he was upset by the fact that he almost ended it. And so God being the incredibly brilliant person that he is. Came up with a way for a human being to always be found with his hope alive, with 100% certain knowledge that God can, that there will always be in existence at least one human being where his hope is alive. He gave that man a name. His name is Jesus. He figured out a way to make a human being that would not cave in. That was strong enough not to be twisted by wickedness. And he also figured out how to ensure that the existence of that man would exist for our benefit. And so when God looks at his son who's way better than Moses and every time we toggle in and out of a plan does it not say that Jesus lives forever in intercession for us no that's about the time to say amen God can always find his hope for a relationship alive in his son. And then he came up with another idea. How about we stick our spirit inside every man that says yes to me? Wow, boy, that's two layers of insulation to make sure God's not going to go. I've had it. That leaves the opportunity this open. Doesn't it? Boy, what a plan. Now that plan is the ultimate plan that God employs to affect his purpose inside us. What do you think? That'll preach, won't it? So I'm here to say to hell with the devil and his lies. God ensured 
that he could find a person who always fulfilled his hope. That's why I know that the ground will never crack open. That's why I know because there's a bow in the sky that foretold the coming of Jesus, his promise to never destroy. There's going to be a lot of things happen. Am I saying there's not going to be judgment? Oh no, there's going to be judgment. Goats do exist, so do sheep, and God will separate them. Goats will burn forever in hell. Sheep will live forever with him in heaven. That's what the Bible says. But there's no reason for anyone ever to go to hell. Hell was not created for people. And God's done everything that he can under the dictates of relationship that make it possible for us to live with him forever. You see, love demands voluntary, actual voluntary response toward and that's what he created us for. Could he make everybody do what he wants to do? Does he have that capacity? Absolutely. Well, brother, I just take, I just take peace in knowing that God's in control. Let me tell you something. God's not into control. God's into relationship. Bad things happen. But there's nothing that can happen that can outstrip God's ability to turn it for your good if you stay engaged with Him. Problems are opportunities. Everybody say that. God can always find a man in every generation who fulfills his hope perfectly, turning away his wrath. As a matter of fact, there's not a day that goes by that God can't find at least one man that fulfills his hope completely to its perfection you know what the word Emmanuel means God with us it says in John that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us right but there's a whole lot more than one man that God's able to find his hope alive in and if there's one thing that stops the wrath of God that's his hope for relationship. What is God's purpose? Jeremiah 29, 14. I will be found by you. You've not done anything. Look, how many of you, everybody go, Man, I'm just looking at imperial proof, empirical proof that God's still in the game with you, working you toward himself. Well, how come? Because you're breathing. That's how come. And the point from which God first knew you till the point you, your body stops breathing, all that time is the time you have to get it right with God. No matter what you've done, it matters where you're going. It matters about right now. And it matters about tomorrow. And the devil's ability to twist intent. Is quite powerful. 
Matthew 22, 36 through 30. 36 through 40. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others. In this way, God's total message and intention has its fulfillment. And I'm looking at a group of people that are trying really hard at loving each other. And I think you're doing a great job. And I want the stronghold of the lie that, ugh, I miss God's perfect plan. Because you know what? If you believe that you missed his perfect plan, to hear the words, God loves you, only partially sets you free. Because deep inside, you feel like, because of your love and your desire for him, you can only partially really fulfill him. And what he wants to do for you if you believe that you missed his perfect plan for your life. And I don't mean to say that there's not consequences. And please don't take this as me belittling or demeaning any suffering in your life. It's not what I mean to do. I know things happen that are bad, that are tough. Some of those things are our own fault and some of those things are other people's fault. And some things are the devil's fault and some things, a tornado just hit your house and blew it apart. That's not God's fault. And that will necessitate, that'll affect your life and cause changes. But what I'm telling you is don't believe that every time you make a mistake, that erodes somehow the way God sees you or the possibilities that are in your life now. It doesn't mean that. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. So I want to pray for you. Everybody stand up real quick. I just want you to open your heart and your mind. Because that's where all the trouble usually resides is in our mind. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you walk heart to heart. Mind to mind. Spirit to spirit. Soul to soul. Do your untwisting work. Help us to see a little bit better and understand a little bit better who you are. Help us understand and set us free, Lord. And Father, I pray that this go together to make the experience of relationship ever more sweeter inside every one of us, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you beat back the forces of darkness and expose lies in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you. Thank you for listening to me.
awesome. I'd love us to sow in the mountain gateway. And um, one of the things you all need to know is Britt and Audrey came to us and said, man, we want to cross-pollinate, and there's some DNA in this family of families, this tribe, that we want in Mountain Gateway. And, of course, we said there's a lot of stuff in Mountain Gateway that we want in Rock Tribe. So Brett asked, he said, look, can we bring all of our missionaries off the field, there are 40, 50 of them, and bring them to Laramie in the month of April of 2018 so that you guys can take us through uh, a sequence of training that will put things into our team. Am I being premature in, in communicating that? Okay. So we are, gosh, it was too late now. <laughs> I don't even know. It's better to ask forgiveness than permission, I guess. Uh, but no, no, he was really like, hey, give me dates. I want dates. And so our whole team is working on galvanizing that plan and hosting the missionaries from how many different countries? Three different countries. Four counting the, uh, we're a country, I guess we could count the U.S. So four countries, they're going to come in and we're going we're gonna to love up on uh, these amazing brothers and sisters of ours. And so that's going to take a little bit of resource to pull that off. But what, what, what we're after, and Britt Brit is really, in, uh, a gr Brit and Aubrey have a great mother and daddy heart. And they go over our leadership times. There have been certain things that if we would have just had a little more equipping on that part, we may not have had the implosion in the lives of the people. And I've had that same experience. In other words, not applying enough inner healing caused a problem later down the road and... That doesn't mean it thwarted God's plan, ultimately, but it sure felt like a setback. And so what Britt is doing and Audrey is doing is saying, we feel like there's a few, few things that we'd like to insert into the life of these missionaries to better equip them to withstand the warfare they're doing on the mission field. So we want to sow into that. So you can make a check to Mountain Gateway, or um, if you want, you can swipe your swiper and we'll make sure it gets to them uh, wherever Diane is. I think she's with a kid. So, but you can make your t check to Mountain Gateway and we'll make a check today or cash and we'll just get it right to them. So is that pretty cool I option? And what I want to do is to say this. I felt like what Britt was saying today, I want to respond real quick. The the idea that we become agents of inviting people into a relationship with God is the best definition of evangelism I've heard in a long time. It's so simple to go to somebody and say, you know what? God your Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit wants a relationship with you. He loves you and he's provided a way for you to know him and for you to love him and for you to relate to him. That is the best way of defining evangelism right there, is we become an ambassador to other people to bring them into the kingdom. What I'm going to ask you to do, Britt, just take a minute, and, and maybe Audrey too, maybe especially you, Audrey, since Britt just prayed. I would love for you to pray over our tribe, all those watching, that the grace for sharing the gospel becomes easy and simple to where it's not all this fear-based pressure that it becomes very, very easy 
to tell people how much they're loved and how simple it is to open their heart to, to a relationship with God. They can be found by him. Can you pray for us? Take hands. I would like that missionary anointing that where it's just so simple to draw people into a love affair with Jesus. Jesus, there's no one like you. And why would we ever want to hold that back from other people? Jesus, may we never be selfish and allow pride to keep us silent when people are dying because they don't know you. Jesus, may we never make knowing you complicated. Jesus, may we always come to you as children. And may we say, hey, you want to know my best friend? Lord, I pray that we would be so in love with you that it leaks out on all those people around us. I pray that our eyes and our smile would shine of you in such a way that they go, what have you got? I want to know that. And that then we say, well, well, let me introduce you to him. May we simply be in love with you and simply say, you can know him too. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Help us to share that with the lost. And may our pride never get in the way because we're thinking, well, what would they think about me? Or what if they say no? Well, they're already lost. They can only have the opportunity to say yes now. Father, help us to be true evangelists. Not as a vocation, but as a lifestyle. In Jesus' name. I, I think that message, too, of it's never too late and what you've done is never too bad. That is so powerful because so many people have been lied to that it's too late and what they've done is too bad to find Jesus. And we can say, hey, look, that's not true. So there's the baskets. We're going to have, yeah, that's a wicked lie for sure. So we're going to have lunch, yes? And women with children get to go first. Yes. Women with children get to go first. And so... Any instructions, render anybody on lunch? Consider all this prayer blessing for lunch. And then at lunch, once you get there, we're going to do a little singing some birthday songs to some people. So.